0: Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary, Fran, and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant.
1: Hey, everyone. Before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about.
2: Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that we'll deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey, welcome to another Encore episode of one of our favorite Brilliantly Resilient show guests, Eric Edmeades. You are going to just laugh your head off at the story Eric talks about with road rage. You can't even believe it. You got to stay tuned to the episode until he gets to that part. Along the way, you are going to hear about health transformation and my favorite, triggers and what we can do to take our power back from triggers. There is all of that and so much more in this Encore episode of the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm Kristen Smedley with my partner in crime, Mary Fran Bontempo, and we are already loving our new guest. We love his, his story. is why we connected to, to come onto the show, and we are having a good time, and I we could easily call this where in the world is Eric Edmeads? Because he's (laughs) been all over. He goes all over. And as we were just hearing about all the places he lived, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I um, thought it was pretty epic when I went from Philly to Vancouver two years ago. So (laughs) there's that. (laughs) Anyway, Eric, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, you're coming, you said, from the Dominican Republic right now? Yes.
0: Yeah, I'm in Cabarete on the North Coast on what is known as Kite Beach. Just off to the left of me here, there are people kiteboarding right now.
2: I saw on your Twitter that you're a kiteboarder. And and if Mary Fran's going to let me at the end of this show, I need a minute or two to talk about that. Because I've been dying to try it out, but I don't know if it's going to fit in. We might just have to have a part two and talk about kiteboarding. I'm already on the part two. We're bringing you back because we're already having such a good time. So tell tell, and the other thing too is that that for those of you that can't see that you're listening on the podcast, Eric is drinking water out of a wine glass. I do that. I love it. Okay. Here I gave
0: did. up alcohol at 21, and I didn't want to stop being a grown up, so I drank my water out of alcoholic glasses.
1: That's very cool. There's nothing worse than drinking wine out of a plastic cup, so I applaud you with the whole wine glass thing. <laughs> Way to go. I can't do the, can't do the best.
2: Yeah. Okay. Right, so now so, that we've
1: spun off completely yeah, in right? directions that make no sense to anybody but us.
2: I want, I want, Eric, I, I want you to say again, as, as you did before we hit record, that I, we had said, oh, you just got back from Africa because that's what, when we uh, connected a couple of months ago, that's what was happening. <laughs> but tell everybody what you said about where you live and, and where you've lived real quick.
0: I was originally born in South Africa. My parents were opposed to the uh, government in South Africa, and so we immigrated to Canada when I was small, and I more or less grew up in Canada, uh, you know, keeping my roots and connecting with South Africa as a child. And then uh, in my early 20s, I moved to uh, Ireland for a year, then the UK for 10 years, then homeless, traveling around the world for two years, and then I decided to settle down here in the Caribbean.
2: I love it. I love it. And as I said to Eric, before we hit record, I'm moving like three miles away and my kids are all having panic attacks. (laughs) Some of them don't like change. I'm like, oh my God. But anyway, so, so here's a couple of things. We're going to, we're going to go through your, your journey a little bit, but just help me, help me with this one. I saw on your bio, you are the Indiana Jones of the health world. I think that is just hilarious. Please, please unpack that for us.
0: You know it first turned up on some blogger's site like 10 years ago because i, I you know there's a number of things i, I I'm, I'm i've been doing workshops and that kind of stuff for many years but my favorite things that i do are not in a classroom like i i've uh, done seven summits of kilimanjaro um as a leadership program so teaching ah. people mental toughness and leadership and climbing kilimanjaro and then i do i've been doing wildlife photography since i was 12 but I think the the and then also I've been visiting the Hadza people in East Africa for about ten years, and they're proper nomadic hunter gatherers. You know, no farming, no money, no cell phones and stuff. And so I think because I, you know, if, if you ever look at any of my like press or social feeds or what have you, it's full of, you know, pictures in the wilderness and adventures mm-hmm. and stuff. And so you know, one thing leads to another, and that's where the identity comes from, I suppose.
2: I love it. I love it. And your shirt says Wild Fit. That's your company now.
0: That is one of my companies. Yes, it's uh, it's my 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 deepest passion since I was 21 years old really has been about what we might now call nutritional anthropology combined with food psychology. And um, and so I, you know, while I I was doing many other things in business, uh, the undercurrent of everything that I was doing was trying to understand health. I'll tell you, basically what happened is I at 21, I I, I, I had been sick for many years and not I'm not not terminal or anything, but just like constantly at the doctor with this or this or that or this. And then uh, one day I sat down with some friends and, you know, one of them kind of introduced me to Tony Robbins. And the next thing you know, he was giving me the old, well, try 30 days of, you know, different eating. Mm -hmm. And um, 30 days later, I'd lost 35 pounds and all of my symptoms were gone. And my doctor called to confirm the surgery I was supposed to be having. And I said, hell no, I'm not -hmm. doing that. I don't need it anymore. And And then I said, and by the way, I'm curious, how many years did you, this is kind of, it was very impetuous, but how many years did you go to school to become a doctor and he sits six years and and i well in in that six years like roughly how much of that was devoted to nutrition i'm curious and it's like the answer of course is none yeah. literally none and that that immediately brought up this thought for me of like would i take my car to a mechanic who'd never studied oil or automatic transmission fluid or antifreeze uh, no i i really wouldn't
1: wow and
0: uh, so in any event, I, um, I I began this journey around uh, food, nutrition, and that kind of stuff, and and that uh, in about 2011 or so uh, gave birth to Wildfit, which is a company that helps people change their relationship with food.
1: Wow, yeah. We um, the the thing that the, that fascinates me about this whole discussion, and Chris and I have seen this happen over and over and over again. People have some kind of an experience in their life. And it, it reaches way down deep, you know, it's somehow it whether it's in your case, it touched your body, but it also touches your soul in a certain way, you know, because there's no separating the two, there's no separating that whole, you know, body soul connection thing. And then that becomes the thing that drives you to, to, you know, your, your passion in life to your, you know, your goal, your, your purpose or, or whatever it is. So then how. Knowing that this thing, that this, this idea sort of saved your life, how do you take that as a young person and think, okay, I'm going to make this my, my career. I'm going to figure out how to do this and turn this into something that can not only help other people, but make me a living.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of important points in there. The, the one is when you talk about resilience, like first thing I, I just, you know, kind of a little off topic is nothing will support someone's resilience and healing from trauma better than being healthy. Uh, You know, so there's no end of psychotropic drugs that somebody could give you or therapeutic techniques. But the bottom line is if your body is not healthy, healing is just about impossible. So that's that's one thing. And then also related to that is you're right. Sometimes somebody is wounded in a way or hurt in a way or tested in a way. And when they overcome that thing, they then feel compelled to go and support the world at overcoming that. And I think that is because if you are the least bit empathetic, any pain you've had you filter on top of your empathy. So I had all this pain and suffering. So for example, my doctor wanted to have my tonsils taken out at 21 years old, which is a very serious surgery at 21. Yeah. And and now anybody who tells me they're having sinus problems or acne, or I, I, I'm like immediately there for them because I lived that so much. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: So, but the next thing is like, how do you, as a young person, turn that into something? And I, I didn't really do it as a young person. As a young person, I, I, did what a lot of people do. And that is, I took a look and I said, you know, what's most important to me at the moment is I I, I, I want to live a comfortable life financially. And so the first thing I did is I started thinking about money. And so while I had this hobby underneath me the whole time, I, I went into business and I got involved in, in sales and marketing and then in entrepreneurship and a bunch of different things. But underneath it the whole time, there was this passion. And one one thing that I I really I really like look money can't buy happiness rubbish yeah like it can't buy happiness but i'll oh, tell you happiness yeah, yeah. is a lot easier when you've got it and 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 i i know that sounds a bit shallow but here's one way i think of it is if you if somebody is living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck and then their boss treats them badly they can't quit they they, they don't have any choice they're basically a, a an administrative slave in that business they can't get out and then once they have one month of savings suddenly they're like, well, there's a line that you better not cross or I might leave because with a month of savings, at least when you have three months of savings, your boss better treat you with respect. Yeah. When you have a 12 months of savings, you better like your job. You see, suddenly having that savings is going like to put you in a position of you know choosing a job you like versus a job that you need to have to pay the bills. And, and then the next level is that when you no longer actually have to think about money, and that's, I put myself in a position where I knew I was safe for a couple of years of money, then I was able to actually follow my passion and make decisions not on the basis of money. So the company that I started, WildFit, which is, by the way, the most successful company I've ever started, it, 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 we've, we've, I mean, I mean, We've had, I think now 35 or 40,000 clients in in 130 countries. We have 400 coaches. We've touched the lives of half a million people all on a hobby, uh, on a hobby. But here's the deal is when I started it, I didn't start it to make money. I started it to change lives. And I think that is a very big distinction and difference.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So do you have to, so this actually breeds the question. If you are struggling with having this, you know, real passion that you want to get out there into the world, but you also have that very real concern of how do I make a living here? Where do you put the weight and what do you, you know, what do you focus on first? Because I, I think you're right. People have these things inside of them that they just have to get out, but very often it's, it's really ends up as nothing more than a hobby.
0: You know, I, I think that um, in case of the cabin depressurization, oxygen mass will drop from the ceiling. And please affix your own mask before you attempt to help the people around you. Like, I, I don't know what else to say other than that. And, and, and I think what happens is I have people all the time come to me and go, Eric, you got to help me. I've got this incredible idea. We can solve this huge world problem and I don't care about the money. Well, then I'm like, well, it's never going to happen if you don't care about the money because money is what's going to make it possible for you. Yeah. So so in in my measure of this, I, I feel as though. You want to have a balance. Yeah, I'm not saying somebody should become this like pure capitalist and all they should think about is like, how do they make money. I, I just think that when somebody takes care of their finances and doesn't need to buy that sports car on a loan doesn't need to use that credit card like just just does a few adjustments. They can buy themselves even three months of financial freedom and three months of financial freedom is enough for you to now pa- follow your passion and possibly turn it into a new business, particularly today with the power of leverage on the Internet. Like you you can take my WildFit, incidentally, having reached 130 countries around the world, was started in my living room in a tiny little house, 150 miles that way in Turks and Caicos with no clients around me. Like I wasn't like I wasn't sitting in New York where I have all these people around me that want to. I, I was but luckily today, with the internet, I was able to jump online, start doing live coaching, and boom, my passion turned into a mission and my path, and my mission turned into a business
1: well that's an important thing to to note I think that that the money piece of it is very much a part of your passion. you can't ignore
2: that oh yeah. Well, yeah I mean and I'm, a, I'm I'm a perfect case study in that because there I was all these years started a nonprofit to help my my uh, kids like my two blind sons and families to be thriving with blindness. My kids beat all the statistics. And because I wasn't looking at it as a, you know, funding a living, then I get divorced. I'm by myself. My kids now, they're not going to be able to go to college. I got them to a point to beat all the statistics. They're not going to go to college because I can't afford it. What? Right. So I'll tell you what, though, Eric, to your point, when I shifted and started doing it for profit, you know, not like, you know, mansions and everything on beaches, but for profit to take care of my family. My impact has grown in insane ways because I went about it differently. I went about yeah. it more like an entrepreneur building a business to feed her family and the impact came along with it. Yeah, so, no total truth. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I want to get into this other piece that you that you talk about and it's that cuz Kristen and I talk about sort of celebrating your setbacks, which sounds completely and utterly ridiculous. And, and the whole point of that is you don't, you can't ignore it. You have to, you have to honor it and all that other stuff, but there hopefully will come a point at which you'll go, okay, I I learned something from that or whatever, but, but man, can it seem like forever from when that happens, when you get that sucker punch to that other side thing. And, and I think there are probably phases of the other side like you don't always get to the complete end of it sometimes you have to live with these things you know forever but at what point do you how long does that have to go
0: you know um to answer that let's let's unpack it a little bit so the way I view life is that however much anger resentment regret you have about the events of your past and your behavior in the past and so forth will automatically um, have a direct relationship with the amount of anxiety you face your future with. Because there will be an assumption that if the road was bumpy before, it's just gonna continue to be bumpy. So if you see events as, if you see the, the, these all these bad events in your past and you're expecting on an equal ratio, bad events in the future, Conversely, mm-hmm. the greater level of love, faith, appreciation, and gratitude that somebody has about their their past, the, the more the less anxiety and the more faith they have in their future because they're like, Well, yeah, but it was bumpy, but I like bumpy. And so if there's bumpy coming, I'm gonna enjoy it. And so all of a sudden these people wake up cleaner. They wake up with a with a higher degree of faith. So if that's true, what it says to me is that one of the greatest gifts we can give anybody is to Help them heal their past so that they can begin to develop a stronger sense of faith in the future, hmm. and so then so that goes to your question, like well, so how long should it take? And it, that's a really difficult question because um, it should take only as long as it should take, and not longer. And um, God, I, I
1: hate answers like that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's but but I think I can get us to something more tangible than that. One of my one of my earliest observations about this idea um, was when I first started really getting interested in the, in, in, in the subject of meaning assessment. Uh, you know, um, uh, I think Tony Robbins says there's nothing in life that has meaning except the meaning you give it. You know, and uh, I, I think W. Mitchell says that as well. But my real mentor in the space of meanings, I, I say mentor, I of course never met him, but uh, Viktor Frankl um, in, in, in his book Man's Search for Meaning, and when I really started diving into that meaning stuff, I right around that time I, I read this article about these two women who had both been assaulted in um, in 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 Central Park in New York, and the article talked about their what ha, what happened, you know, the assault, and then what their lives were like after the assault. And um, the one woman had understandably been devastated by the event, and um, you know, undertook all kinds of interventions and therapies, and ended up on a variety of uh, uh, prescription uh, behavior, modifying drugs, you know, antidepressants and what have you. And then of course that didn't really work. So then she turned to non-prescription type drugs and a few suicide attempts. And basically that one trauma ruined her life. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the other woman, um, she also found herself facing real anxiety about the future and, and she learned something that freaked her out. And she learned that once a woman's been sexually assaulted once, the odds of her being assaulted again are higher and this is because of a horrible truth and that is that the type of people who commit those crimes against women are fundamentally wimps they are they are weak um, they are weak and they and, and they and they're they're i don't even know how to describe the, but they they only want to prey on the afraid mm. and so once a woman's been assaulted once it's naturally understandable she's walking down the street afraid and so now that makes them a stronger prey for these criminals for these animals So she learned that and that freaked her out. But then she made a different meaning. And the meaning was the first woman's meaning was something like life is terrible. People do bad things. Right. But the the second woman, she made a new meaning. The meaning was I will never let this happen to me again. And so she went off and she started studying self-defense classes and and she learned some interesting things like a credit card can be as sharp as a knife when sliced across a larynx in the dark alley. Like uh, interesting thing to learn. She All learned right. that a set of keys in her in her knuckles can make a really excellent brass knuckle when you're and so pretty soon she would leave a party in New York and she would like her car would be parked right on her friends would go, should we walk you to your car? And she'd go, I don't no. You're like, <laughs> But you, what happened to you a few months ago? You would and she goes, No, you, know, you watch. And she'd walk down the street and she'd be like, Go ahead, make it. Make it. <laughs> And of course, none of these none of these wimps actually go after a woman like that. They just think they're there because they're afraid. Now her friends start going, "How are you doing that?" So she starts teaching them. Then she starts a self defense gym, and then that gets franchised, and she ends up with a few of them. And then in the interview, they ask her this question: "If you could go back in time and prevent your own rape, would you do it?" No. 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 She she said no, and she said no because she says the way I live today. And this is, listen, I am not diminishing. I don't, I'm just talking about one woman's experience versus the other. I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong. I'm just saying in her life, she was right for her. And in her life, she took a look and she said, I walk around with a level of confidence. I walk around with a level of personal liberty and freedom that I never had before. And I only have that because of what happened. And I've helped hundreds and hundreds of other women have the same feeling. And so if I go back and undo what happened to me, I lose all that. And, and so that is about meaning assessment. So the question is, when do you assess that meaning? Do you wait five years? Do you live with five years of lack of faith in your future? Or do you find a way to assess that meaning more quickly? And that is the, that's, the, that's the tough part. The difficult part is how quickly can you... We call this, as you guys mentioned in the pre-talk here, um, I have a system for this called the hindsight window. And the hindsight window is defined as the period of time between the bad event... And the day that you one day look back at it, minimally with appreciation and maximally with gratitude. And, and the longer that window is, the less happy somebody will be in their life because mm-hmm. it's content in their past equals anxiety for their future. The shorter that window is, the greater faith they have that life is happening for them hmm. all the time, especially when it doesn't feel that way.
2: Well, let me ask you though do you think, and maybe this is maybe I'm jumping the gun and you're going to talk about this, is the more you practice looking for the you know the meaning assessment get better at it does that window start to shorten over experience i
0: I believe so um in our workshops and and in my writing i refer to something called frankel moments of course named after Frank victor frankel and Mm -hmm. they they're stimulated by his quote which is roughly there is a um there is a moment between stimulus and response and it's in that moment that you establish your freedom as a human being by assessing a conscious meaning effectively and so we call those Franco moments. And so as you have something, uh, let's say adverse happen to you, what is going to happen is, look, we're, we are animals, like anim- humans are animals, and, and, but we have consciousness, but we don't spend most of our time conscious. We spend most of our time just automatically behaving, right? We eat automatically, we argue automatically. And, 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 and the more we let the animal part of us take over, the more trouble we're in because we live in a modern world if, if you were living in nature that might serve you but here it doesn't so for example your ch- your children do something and you feel anger and and so on so what happens is your body starts producing a bunch of adrenaline noradrenaline, and stuff that you would have needed with anger in the past because anger would have often involved say physical confrontation mm-hmm. but you see since you're not planning on having a physical confrontation with your children those chemicals are not useful for you in your body and anything you say to your children with those chemicals in your body is likely going to be something you're going to have to apologize for later.
2: That was me yesterday.
0: There you go, right? <laughs> and it's, it's a big thing because you see in that moment, by the way, you yesterday, tell me this, was there not a tiny little voice somewhere deep in the back that was going, why are you saying that?
2: It was going, stop it, stop it. And you, you know go. what? And to your point of being in, in good health, I, it was over our move. I have not slept. I have been stressed out. I mean, it was the perfect storm. I haven't had a workout, you know? And then yeah. the 17-year-old gets in the car and goes, I said, we're going to see the new house. <clears throat> and I went, berserk. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and I can really do a run-on sentence that will tell you everything you don't want to hear <laughs> for a full <laughs> 20 minutes down the road. It was awful. And now I am going to have to spend quite a bit of time undoing that but yes I had that voice going Kristen what does the matter with you and I'm like Kristen is tired Kristen's filter is exhausted and I never should have said a word
0: yeah and so the difference was is which mind were you in where you're an animal mind or, or, or conscious human mind and you your chemicals took over and and so when we if we examine that like um, here's a crazy example I was in the what what became the Atlantis Hotel in Paradise Island in the Bahamas oh yeah and it was before Saul Kirzner bought the place. And so it was still a casino back then, uh, before they built the towers and stuff. And I'm in there with some friends and I order some drinks at the bar, put the money on the bar. And as I put the money on the bar, four men walk in with automatic assault rifles and start shooting.
2: Stop and so it. glass
0: is exploding all over the place and people are screaming and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, I interceded. I, 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 I. I stopped the chemicals from taking over. I immediately thought to myself, what does this really mean? And I thought, well, it really means they're here to rob the place or because of mass shootings, they're here to kill a bunch of people. What does that mean? What it means is I don't want to be near people. I just instantly thought I don't want to be near any people. In the meantime, everybody else has gone into total shock herd animal mentality and they're just Screaming like Fozzie or like, like Gonzo from the from the Muppet Show, and they're running down the hall, ah! And they're running down the hall together, which is perfect for a mass shooting, right? In my Come case, on. I slowed time down. I created the Frankel moment, and I said, "I don't want to be near people." And I saw there was a door behind the bar. Jumped around the bar, opened the door, grabbed my fiancée by the hand, pulled her through the door. She thought I was insane because we're going into a part of the hotel you're not allowed to go into, staff only. And I jumped in there. Guess what? It was the kitchen. And you know what? As soon as I walked in the kitchen, I was like, well, these guys are not here to make sandwiches, you know? So in that moment I was able to find the Frankel moment. I was able to find it and not panic. Now, as it turns out, nobody was killed that day. One guy had a heart attack and a bunch of people were injured by glass and so on, but you know, they weren't there. They were just there to rob. But the point being is in the toughest scenario, like with terrifying fear where adrenaline should take over for some reason, I was able to pop over and prevent the adrenaline rush. And 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 so that's what we want to do, is when something triggers us like that, we want to try and be as conscious as we can in the moment that it's happening. And so, for example, in speaking to your children, your children, I, I swear, it's like they want to piss us off. They want to trigger us. <laughs> They're there to test us. They're our ultimate teachers. But I can tell you, one of my proudest things, and look, there are a lot of things I could have been a better parent about. I have a 23-year-old and a 4-year-old. And, and I, you know, I'm working on it all the time, but I, the one thing I'm very proud of is that in the 23 years that my son has been my son, I've never said words to him in anger ever. Now he grew up, he lived most, I, he didn't live with me full time. So I want to disclaim that I'm not, some but, but that doesn't mean he didn't try to provoke and trigger and provoke and trigger all the time, especially he did because I wasn't there full time and I should be guilty about that and all that stuff. Right. And so what happened was, is that we would have a debate or an argument and if ever it started to move to anger in me, I would just look at him and go, do you know, I feel like I might get angry about this. Can we take a break? And he'd be like, "Yep," <laughs> <laughs> Cause he'd never seen the anger. So he's like, I don't know if I want to.
2: <laughs> <And so laughs> I never- for me. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's that, you know, what? I'm sitting here as you're talking about finding the meaning, I think, I, I guess I was just so tired that I just went right past it because I know what the meaning was while I was getting upset. I was doubting myself with the house purchase because I did it all by myself for the first time in my whole entire life, right? So I already yeah. had all the doubts. So when he's confirming this might not be a good idea, I was like freaking out. For, and that was the meaning that I should have just said, you know what? This is triggering everything. Let me just shut up for a minute.
0: I'll give you another meaning that might help create the Frankel moment for you the next time something like happens. So you go like this. If you are having an an immediate and intense emotional response to something, there's something for you to learn. Hmm. Like, that's just the way it is. If you have an immediate and intense emotional response to something, there's something for you to learn. Emotions, the whole purpose of emotions, in my opinion, there's two big purposes of emotions. One is for them to reward and teach. So in other words, some are comfortable and reward us, and Mm -hmm. then others are uncomfortable and they teach us. The other reason for for emotions is that emotions are the glue that cause memories to actually stick in you. In other words, if something intense has happened that you might benefit from retaining, you want to learn from this, then you have an intense emotional experience and that'll lock the memory. in, So you don't have to repeat the mistake later. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, your child says this thought-provoking thing, right, or, or anger-provoking thing. And in that moment, you start to feel it well. If you go, okay, if I'm feeling this, there's something to learn. What is there to learn? What is there to learn? What is there to learn? There to learn? And if you... Oh, it's like an off ramp. I'm I'm saying there's a, like you're on the freeway and you're about to take the freeway of anger and the freeway of, you know, of saying stuff you regret and having to apologize. And there's this off-ramp of what could I be learning from this?
1: Hmm.
3: And so the minute here's, you take that here, off-ramp, you, here's you what you I'm seeing. Consciousness.
1: Here's what I'm hearing in this, both in the example that you gave and the example that Kristen gave, the undercurrent that I sense in both of those situations is fear. There was fear there. So is that a question that we can ask ourselves in those moments? Okay, what am I afraid of here? I'm afraid of something, what is it? And then- Yes, and yes except
0: for one problem. And, and I, I, I'm i with you, I just, here's the problem. When I ask, what am I afraid of here? Then I'm going to think of the thing I'm afraid of.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Right, so what I wanna do is, I wanna be really realistic about something. And by the way, I, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the suicide rates have been climbing steadily, for the, like steadily. now. I want you to think about something. We live in the safest times in the history of earth. (laughs) Like, like I want you guys, I'm 50 years old. If I was born in 1900, by the time I was 20 years old, I will have already gone through world war one and the Spanish flu, which infected one third of every human on earth. Then by the time I was 30 years old, I'd be making my way into the great depression. And then by the time I was 45 years old, I will have gone all the way through world war two. And as I hit my fifties, I'd be just about approaching the Cuban missile crisis. And we think we've had it tough. Yeah. One of the problems we've had is that we actually haven't been tested enough. So when we are afraid of stuff, our full fear factor kicks in. But we aren't actually been challenging by things that are actually dangerous to us. One more thing about this. Think about this. People stop playing video games not because they get harder. They stop playing them when they get easy. When the game gets too easy, you go, well, I'm going to go play another one. And I honestly believe that part of the problem we have right now is that life has become so easy. And so unchallenging. And we are used to having major challenges. So today, you get a bill in the mail or a sum. Oh, not a summons. Like <laughs> you get a summons in the mail. And the minute you get the summons, what happens? The old Paleolithic fear system runs. You start producing your adrenaline. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta produce cortisol. You know what cortisol does? It helps coagulate your blood. So if you get cut or something, you won't bleed out. Well, hang on a second now it's slowing up your blood, it's tensing up your heart, it's tensing up your muscles, and you haven't even opened the envelope yet. And how is this gonna help you to process what's inside the envelope? The only way it's gonna help you is if you get a really serious paper cut from the envelope. Otherwise, (laughs) it's not helping at all.
1: So you, so, okay. This is this is hugely informative and also like just just slightly confusing and terrifying because there are those parts. (laughs) There are those sort of instinctive parts that we have no control over. So how do we get our minds around all of the stuff that can send us into hyper overdrive for pretty much no reason at all? How do we get our minds in control over that? And then, but but not have to experience major, major things to recognize. I mean, Kristen and I have, I think Kristen and I are a little bit better at that than maybe some people because we both did experience major, major things. So now it's kind of like, yeah, all right, whatever. I can, uh, we'll figure this out. You know, like both of us are kind of in that mindset but not everybody is. So how do you find that place where you don't, your hair's not immediately on fire but you, you know, you honor the instinct that's kicking in.
3: All right. So there's, um, when we, when we do work uh, with people on the hindsight window, there are three perspectives. There's, uh, there are things that happen in your past. There are things that are likely to happen in the future that you already know trigger you. Mm -hmm. And then there's you dealing with the present. So let's go through the three of those. Uh, My favorite example for dealing with, um, uh, you know, the future is I used to be I used to just be like a professional road rage specialist. Like I lived in the United Kingdom and I got heavily into road rage. And all, all the time, people would cut me off, and I'd get angry, and I'd want to catch up to them and give them the middle finger or the two fingers or the arm gesture or yell something <laughs> at them. And those... this, Yeah, yeah, I do a little friend's action on it. Like you know, you get them right. And 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 what happened uh, was is that I began to realize that every time that was happening it was causing a huge adrenaline. Um, uh, flow in me, and it was, it was aging me, and it was stressful, and, it, and and then I was going into a meeting with all these negative chemicals in my body. Tell me they don't smell that. Tell me they don't feel it, right? Right. And so I was on my way to a meeting, and this happened to me, and, and um, I, I, I got to the meeting on time, but I actually called them and said, actually, I've been delayed in traffic because I'd had this horrible road rage thing, and I didn't want to walk into the meeting with that energy, so I sat and meditated for 15 minutes before I went to the meeting, and I thought, i got to do something about this road rage. And, and, and I thought that you just said something very telling and, and it is the belief that we have and that these things are not in our control. What are we supposed to do? They're not in our control. Well, hold on now. Maybe we can rest control. Maybe we can get control if we find the Frankel moment. Sometimes we have to create the Frankel moment. In the United Kingdom, the second national sport after road rage is uh, football or soccer field. Mm-hmm. And so um, in, in, in soccer, the way the refereeing works is that they use red and yellow cards So a yellow card is a warning and a red card is you're out of the game. And so I thought, all right, I want to create a different version of this. So I bought myself a set of football cards and I put them under the visor of my car. So now I would go driving. And and, and the first week, I remember I'm driving along waiting for somebody to cut me off, waiting for it. And somebody does something, they cut me off. And immediately I'm thinking red or yellow, red or yellow. And I thought, uh, let the game go on. I was like, it's not that big a deal. And I was like, oh, my God. A week ago, I would have been like you know, now I'm red or yellow, and the guy, and it's all done, right? i like, holy, I have freedom. And, wow. and then, about two weeks later, I'm driving along, and I'm on a four lane road, and I'm driving along, and the guy from the outside lane does a U-turn around me, <laughs> the and worse than that, there's no room on the other side, so he ends up stomping in front of me, and this is at 50 miles an hour, well, 30 miles an hour, and I have to slam on the brakes, actual rubber burning, not to hit him. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me, and everybody's watching because the traffic's dense, and and I'm like, and, and and I start to feel that rage just for one split second, and then I'm like, this is a red card offense, <laughs> and I grabbed the red card, and I had a convertible, and I stood up, and Stop I stopped, it. Stop it. and he lost his shit. He was, he was laughing so hard. He could tears. He was and then I am laughing, and then the passenger in his car is laughing, and then all these cars here that are watching, they're laughing their ass off. They all think that they're on some candid camera show because it looks <laughs>
2: that up. Oh my god. And did
3: something I'd never seen before. It was like a first-time event. I wish the cameras he apologized. I don't care how many hand gestures, finger gestures, cuss words. I've never gotten an apology. Now wow. he apologized. And my my day was improved. His day was improved, and everybody's days were improved because I created a fractal moment by having consciousness that I had a trigger. Yeah. By the way, if you have a trigger, and I'm sorry, this is like some people get triggered when I say this, but like if you have a trigger or buttons to press, who do you think built the trigger or the buttons? You. They're your trigger. They're your buttons. You put them there so people could push them, so you could learn about who you are as a human being. And so I found I had this trigger, and I'm like, all right, now it's up to me to dismantle the trigger. And so that is so
1: great because you know when i talk to groups of women i always exactly. say to them stop looking for reasons to be offended yes the them.
3: easier you are to offend the easier you are to control yes wow.
1: that's exactly right oh my god I'm, i've been taking notes scribbling like crazy this is definitely a note-taking moment
2: <laughs> do you know what's so funny eric i'm seeing i'm a lifelong soccer player and I'm seeing my high school soccer team this weekend for someone's fiftieth surprise party, and we have been in these group texts and stuff for a long time, and we talk on Zoom and all. And we're some of us are in the middle of of figuring out some triggers in our lives, and why does this happening? I can't wait to tell them this crazy story <laughs> of the red and yellow card. I may actually bring it to my my uh single girls uh, group too and say because we all will talk about the dating triggers and all the stuff in relationships we'll be like we'll be we'll be at the clubs handing out red and yellow cards
3: <laughs> i think what they should do in the uk and i kind of tried to get it going there but i was running my business and and, and and other stuff but i really think that the uk should create a because they have a serious road rage problem they should create a thing called driving as a team sport and they should issue red and yellow cards to everybody and turn it into a road game because at the end of the day, we all just want to get there alive, right? You know, it's like, we're all That's hilarious.
1: Game. It is. My husband's, my husband's a soccer coach. So I'm going to go get a couple of cards from him and do that. I definitely need to do that. Cause oh, I,
2: everybody's got road rage. Everybody. Yeah, exactly. <sighs>
1: I've taken to praying the rosary while I'm driving just to disconnect my road rage because I'm like, I got to get out of my own head because I'm always ready to kill somebody. By the time I get out out of the car, I just want to put my hands around somebody's throat. That's a terrible way to be. But this is so enlightening that you can, you built the triggers. I love that. You built them. You put them there.
3: Yeah. If you know something triggers you, you have kind of two choices. The one is you can avoid it at all costs and weaken yourself in the process and take away your freedom and liberty. You can ask people to be conscious of your trigger and please don't say those things. And, you know, I'm offended at that language or whatever, and you can do that, but then you're just, you know, you're just, you're not getting any stronger. The other way is is you can look at the trigger and try to figure out what's going on. Like, why do you have that trigger? And what can you do to create consciousness to stop the automatic behavior, the automatic the automatic fear, the automatic, whatever's going on. So that, that's a great example of how you can inoculate yourself, how you can protect yourself. You, you identify a trigger or a button that you have, and then you figure out a way to gamify it or, or do something that, what they call in psychology, like a behavioral interrupt, which is what I did. I put in a game in that interrupted the thought process. But then the next one to think about is what do you do in the present, like in the moment? Yeah. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's. That's the toughest of them all, and we'll get to the past in a minute. But the present is the toughest one. But again, go back to what happened to me at the casino. I asked myself, I forced myself immediately to ask, what does this really mean? In fact, I have a talk on YouTube called the Hindsight Window. I actually did it as well, and um, and in there I tell a story about my my wife and I coming home from a huge six months on the road, and everything we owned got stolen out of the car. Everything we. It, it, we, we had a driver that we've been using for years. We trusted him. We went to do some grocery shopping because we hadn't been home for six months on the way home from the airport. We got, went into the store, came out, everything was gone. Passports, money, original videography and photography from the trip that had not been backed up. And we're talking wow. the most unique stuff, wild chimpanzees and mahale, and, you know, time with the Bushmen and, and all of our, like, and, and probably 50 grand worth of stuff and computers and all this original, I mean, and you know, gone. Now, the thing is when you open the car door and you see that that stuff's gone, What's gonna happen in that moment is you're gonna get triggered, right? And, and, but the thing is you're gonna get triggered or um, I don't, let's call it days gone by. Like the reality is, is that if those guys were there robbing me in the moment, rage might've been useful. The extra strength might've been useful, but as they're not there anymore, that's no longer a useful emotion. And I felt it coming up in the rage and the hot tears in my eyes and I'm so angry. And then I asked myself this question, is this the best emotion to handle this situation right now? Absolutely not. I now need to talk to police and police do not like that. Like nobody wants that, right? No, it's not. And and by the way, I also need to be a good husband. And my wife is also losing her stuff over here. And she's crying and she's hysterical. And how can I be a good husband if I'm losing my crap? You know, it's like not good. So I said, all right, what emotion would be a lot better right now in this moment? And I remember this, I'm standing at the back of the car, thinking this as I'm noticing this stuff is gone. And I think, well, Calm would be good. Yeah, but that's just not an available app in the down. Yeah, that's not available to download right now. Like I can't. <laughs> okay. And I said, well, how would I get to Calm? And I said, well, here's what I know is there will come a time in the future when we look back on this event and we laugh about it. There's going to be some time. When we- and if we don't laugh about it, where we just look back at it with interest, like there's going to come a time when this isn't so painful. And that maybe even there was some benefit. in it. And I thought, okay, mm. all right. If that's true, what benefit could there be in this? And I said, like, "Well, I tell you, for one thing, like my wife and I were very like workaholic like, and so we've just been on the road for six months, and we would just come home and start cleaning up and doing work and working hard and working hard. And now, with no computers, we're going to be forced to take two weeks off because it'll take at least two weeks to get new computers here. And so we're going to have like two weeks vacation, and we're going to
2: mm. watch
3: movies and walk on the beach and cook for each other, and that's, we're going to have do other fun stuff. It's going to be it's going to be a good two weeks. And then suddenly, I felt a little different." This is within minutes of opening the door. Wow. And then I thought, well, also, you know what? My wife's had this old Mac and I'll tell you what, I'm her IT manager and Jesus, I'm sick of fixing it. She won't let me buy her a new one because it has a complicated setup and now she has no choice. I get to buy her a new Mac. (laughs) Awesome. Plus, uh, you know, thank God this happened to us now and not three years ago when we were at the bottom of our financial lives. We'd recovered. We'd turned things around. Thank God it's happened now, not then because to replace this stuff is fine. I can replace it, it's like, I mean, yeah. I'm not, not gonna be without pain. But I just kept going through the list and I started thinking, it's like, this is, not, this is really not that big a deal. It's really not that bad. Yeah. And I turned to my wife at this point and I said something to her, I could never have said full of rage, that I could never have said full of anger. I put my hands on her shoulders, I looked her straight in the eye and I said, everything's gonna be okay. And she says, how do you know that? And I said, well, look, you know, that you and I tomorrow would have been on our laptops, catching up with shit, working real hard and all that stuff, right? She goes, yeah. And I go, what do you think we're gonna do now? I said, well, do you think we could go for a walk on the beach and we could Netflix and chill and we could could just hang out and then we could could cook for each other and we could spend a lot of time in bed. And she smiled. This is within minutes of the door opening and the stuff being gone, I just got a smile out of her. It was a smile through tears. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying she was happy. But a smile? How is that even possible within five minutes of this happening, right? And it's because I asked the right questions. Incidentally, just to carry on with this, two more important points upon it, that the police were so impressed by my calm that they had me edit the CCTV footage. Can you imagine? Because I, at the time I owned a movie studio. And so I was in the film industry and we had special software and all this stuff. So they let me edit the evidence. to try to find the guys that did this. Can you imagine police doing that if you were not anything but totally calm, right? Right. One more thing is that I had many years before had an apartment stolen. And so I knew some things about that. One thing I knew is that you never know everything that was stolen. And three weeks later, you go to reach for something and then you realize it's gone. And then the trauma comes back, right? Yeah. And so I was like, well, I already know that. So I again, turned to my wife and I go, listen to me. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to reach for something. You're going to think about something and it's going to be gone and then this whole day might come flooding back for you. But here's what I want you to know. We live in the Dominican Republic and while the criminals who took this stuff are bad people, the truth is that every single thing that we own that was taken from us is going to end up in the hands of somebody in this country that really needs it more than we do. That's just the truth. And so just, if you notice something missing, all I want you to do is close your eyes for a minute and imagine the exact right Dominican kid or the Dominican person using your laptop or whatever it is that you thought about. I said this to her, three weeks later, I'm working away. And she comes running in and she goes, Eric, Eric. I go, what? She goes, you know that gorgeous little Dolce Gabbana dress that you got me? And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, there is some Dominican girl rocking that dress right now. <laughs> She's so, great. That's so, you good. know, like in a sense, just by, and by the way, I'm not talking about suppressing emotions. No, you I got know. A, you yeah. got grief and stuff. But in that moment, that's not the time for it. In that moment, we need consciousness. And anger and enraged is the furthest thing from consciousness. Yeah,
1: you you said something um, before you talked uh, about being free, and that was kind of what I was hearing in what you were saying. There is there is a freedom, um, and I mean, you know, I think people try to do that not as clearly as you do, but. I find myself when I am freed of, of possessions and those kinds of constraints and stuff like that, again, not minimizing the trauma or anything like that, but, but there is a moment in there that you go, well,
2: I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's done. I don't have to think about that. Yeah. You know, totally. I'm thinking about when, when I found out about my first sunbeam being blind, it took me a long time to get over it. Um, and it was actually Michael at three and a half years old that said to me his famous line was, isn't this the best day ever? And I'm like, what in the, what do you mean the best? How could you ever have a best day? Right. You have no idea. But when I realized my problem was all of my dreams for him were gone. Like I did, I wanted that quarterback. I wanted the starting pitcher. And then when they were gone, I actually thought nobody on this planet expects anything from you. That's one of the thing I was so upset about. But I was like, Oh, great. Then anything you do is going to be wonderful. So let's just start here. And he has continued to blow people's minds with the stuff that he's done, but he really, and I, I tell parents all the time, if you take your dreams off your kids, wait, do see how, how they can soar without that, you know, and you putting that meaning of their lives on them Then we have no business doing, but in the moment, I mean, it was my ugliest of ugly cries. I will say when, when he came in and said that to me, but to your point of you know, putting in that meaning and then looking at it differently, it, it really was freeing.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, Eric, this has been a fascinating conversation and I learned so much from it about, well, my road rage for one, I'm going to get those red and yellow cards because I need them. <laughs> so I just want to thank you for that and tell everybody where we can find more about you and this, this fascinating perspective, because it really is.
3: Well, sure. If you Google hindsight window uh, or go to YouTube, it's, there's a great video there. It's definitely worth checking out for that. But in terms of reaching me, um, if people are interested in, uh, in food psychology and having a new way of thinking, like I, I want to be, you know, the, the best way to put this is that you have all these people walking around the world right now who feel like they failed at all these diets they tried. And what I want everybody to know is nobody has ever failed a diet. Diets have consistently failed you. And the reason is that we cannot go on a diet. We must change our diet. We have to change our lifestyle. And so if anybody's curious in how that works and how to get rid of cravings and really have a great conscious relationship with food, then the best place to go is getwildfit.com. And, uh, and we have a 14-day psychological, like a 14-day reset program that you can do there to really see how it works. And then uh, in terms of reaching me, I, I manage my own Instagram page. So uh, if you come and find me on Instagram, I do my best to answer questions that people send me. And, um, and that's probably the best way to reach me personally.
1: Cool. I got to tell you, I mean, I, 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 we only touched on your, your, your work with food and nutrition, all of that. And, but I, I can just in that last sentence that you said that you don't go on a diet, you change your diet. It all, it all connects with everything else that you said. It's a different way about looking of looking at things. It's a different way of incorporating all of this stuff that we, that comes with being human into your life in a more conscious way so that you can make better decisions, both for your physical body and for your emotional uh, health and all of that so w- what a great conversation
2: thanks so much for joining us
3: hey thanks for having me
2: It was fantastic and i'm actually thinking i'm going to get the red and yellow cards for when when me and mary fran are on on just the two of us <laughs> and I'm
1: gonna, I'm <laughs> i'll be getting a lot of red warnings gonna... i have a
2: feeling it's always going to be red Red. I'm not getting any yellows. She's she's sidelining me permanently. In our text <laughs> conversations, too. I can just, I want to see if they, maybe they'll make a little emoji for me where the ref is holding up the card. <laughs> we need to get the perfect little <laughs> emoji. <laughs> anyway, I digress. But thanks so much for joining us, Eric. Thank you, everyone, for, for tuning in to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. Make sure you go to the brand spanking new website that looks amazing and, dare I say, brilliant, because we found the most incredible web guy that actually listened to all of our banter to get on there, all the information in a way that we know that will be so helpful to you all. So go check it out, check out the podcast, leave ratings and reviews, let us know what you think. And we'll see you in the Facebook community. See you next time.
3: Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast.
0: Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise
3: and reveal your brilliance.